Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Podwafflers, wherever you are listening on this beautiful planet we call home. And welcome to episode one of series two. In fact, episode one, part one of the new series for Lyrical Life, Disorganised Waffle. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're a regular listener, well, thanks for coming back. And if you're new, you are more than welcome. Thank you so much for choosing to have a listen. On this episode, I am speaking to the wonderfully talented, the awesomely, awesomely wonderful... (laughs) Amy Jackson at Sassy Cat Lady Blog. Um, I had a beautiful chat with her back in, I think it was October, November time last year, 2021, um, where we had a great chat and she was incredibly open about her obsessive compulsive disorder diagnosis. So a trigger warning for people there, if you're listening and OCD affects you in any way, it's just a, a little heads up that we are speaking about OCD, but also we're speaking about Amy as a person and we're speaking about her and her blog as well which is a really interesting blog sassycatlady.com is the blog and it's certainly worth a read there's some really entertaining stuff on there very eclectic lots of different stuff I'm sure to keep you entertained so let's get on with it let's have a chat with Amy Okay, Pop Wafflers, welcome to episode one of series two, the new series of Lyrical Life Disorganised Waffle with me, of course, your host, Dom G. And joining me is the wonderful Amy Jackson. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you for giving up your time. Now, for people that may not know, your handle on, um, I, I think it's one of the one of the very original and better handles, I must admit, on, <laughs> on Instagram. Um, the sassy cat lady blog now i have to ask you i have to ask you um where did that come from (laughs) (laughs) um honestly it was a bit of a joke between um my best friend i kind of put out the idea i said i'm thinking of doing no getting into blogging again and i just said i need a name for it i want it to be funny but you know, not too like sort of cheesy that kind of thing. So um, she just said, "Well, you're pretty sassy," um, <laughs> and and that was it. And I thought, well, I am a crazy cat lady, so let's just merge the two. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been lots of things. It could have been drunk cat lady. It could have been sweary cat lady. But no, I think sassy cat lady probably. <laughs> Speaking of cats, she may enter in on this in this record at any point, so that'll be fun. <laughs> More the merrier, more the yeah. merrier. So on your Instagram handle as Sassy Cat Lady Blog, Amy Jackson, it says um, she, her blogger, navigating adulthood one obsessive thought at a time. Now, I remember seeing that for the first time and thought, I like the sound of that. I really do. And <laughs> not only the one obsessive thought at a time, but the navigating adulthood. That really appealed to me when I first read that. And that is it really, isn't it? We are navigating life sometimes it seems minute by minute yeah no it was it's kind of sort of based on that whole you know just the idea of adulting and and things like that I know it's you know a lot of comedians talk about it and and stuff like that but yeah I just thought it, I don't really know how I came up with it it was just one of those things I put put it in there as like a placeholder almost and it just sort of stuck and I thought oh, actually I quite like that <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah it's all worked out clearly <laughs> so for those now obviously I've been getting to know you over time and when you kindly agreed to take part in the podcast but for those that may be following you but have never actually spoken to you via messaging or 
at all face to face. Can you tell me and them a little bit about yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, so I generally, my blog is pretty much about anything. I write a lot about mental health, um, particularly OCD, which I have. Um, I write a lot about music, about gin, just general sort of life stuff as well. But there is more of a focus on the mental health side of it. So behind that, I'm 29 and I live in Bath with my husband and my cat. And um, I work for my local hospice charity. Mm. So with regards to writing, you mentioned your blog, of course. Um, yeah. And there is a link, of course, there's a link tree link on your Instagram page to your blog. Mm-hmm. Um, how long have you been not just writing your blog, but how long in general have you been writing for? Is it a new venture or have you been doing it for a long, long time? Um, I, d- I have always liked writing, um, even from when I was when I was quite a little kid, I, I would write stories and things like that um and then when I was about 16 I sort of you know first heard the term blogging um and I set up my very first blog through I think it was blogger or blogspot or whatever um and it didn't really go anywhere because obviously I was 16 I was just writing utter crap which in you know in a way I still do but just this time more people read it but yeah it was it, it was one like you know I was 16 I was stupid I didn't know kind of that you know there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes as it were like in terms of you know planning your content scheduling your content SEO which you know had I didn't even know that was a thing back in the day and yeah it just it never took off and then I started a job in 2018 where I was writing content I mean it was nothing nothing extravagant it was literally writing pages on a, a voucher code website so you know there's only so many ways you can say oh you know how you can save money at argos kind of thing it was <laughs> it was it was very repetitive but it did get me thinking actually i quite quite enjoy writing and i just thought i'll give it a go again i'll you know i'll put the effort in i'll buy a domain name and i'll do some research and things like that and that was um that was late 2018 early 19 and that that was sassy cat lady which started and it's been going on ever since then yeah i'm surprised i've kept it up this long to be honest <laughs> <laughs> well i'm I'm glad you have because i've been i've been reading lots of stuff you've been doing on there and it's, it's a really it's a really entertaining read to be honest <laughs> Thank um, you. And I, yeah, I, I do enjoy reading it. Um, and you know, when, especially when you sign up, because uh, my memory is, is awful anyway. So that's why I always, when you see something, you can sign up for a a new post. It's great because it's you know straight into your email box, and then you mm. think, ah, new post. I'll check that out, and that's what I've been doing. So it's been it's been Aww. really really good to read that. Um, good, I'm glad. In, inspiration then for writing. Um, did anything? fire off your inspiration anything trigger it off for you when you was younger um I mean I did I really loved reading Jacqueline Wilson books when I was younger I was obsessed and I I have I did write about it in one of my posts I think it was just sort of she had a way of writing that a lot of other writers in that time didn't really look at like you know a lot of her you know it was it was a lot of she did write a lot about mental health but in like a child-friendly way like I remember one of my favourite books by her was The Illustrated Mum and the the main sort of adult character in it has 
uh, bipolar and she and she has a, a drinking problem and you, you know sort of looking I've re- read it through as an adult and I thought that is some pretty you know hefty stuff for a children's book but it's you know at the time no one else but her was sort of doing something like that and it kind of shone, shone a light on those sorts of conditions mental health that sort of thing and what I liked about her as well she always would write about more often than not it was single parent families and that was that was me like it was just me and my mum growing up so it was you know rather than sort of reading all the the nice flowery lovely children's books where you've got a mum and a dad and you know every everything's lovely it was actually sort of no it's you know it, it can be a struggle if you're in a single parent family and and things like that it was just and yeah and it opened my eyes to kind of a lot more issues that I probably wouldn't have been aware of at that age I mean like an eight or a 10 year old probably would have no idea on you know certain things she wrote about so she was probably the main inspiration when I when I wrote stories and things like that um sort of late yeah. later years I don't know no one really comes into mind instantly but I did I just remember sort of seeing influences and things well you know that's the time for them now but back in when I was younger it was just people on YouTube making videos and things like that and like you know very kind of early stage vlogging and, and stuff and I I sort of I liked the idea of that but I never ever had the confidence to do a vlog and I just thought that's not gonna happen um so I thought well what's the next best thing let's just write it um yeah so that's that's kind of how I got started really and that's interesting you know because Jacqueline Wilson she you know she wrote the story of Tracy Beaker didn't she and Hetty Feather mm. and um wave me goodbye and funny enough you say about the illustrated lady um when I was looking at Jacqueline Wilson information looking at her website as well she because somebody had asked her where she'd got some of her, of her inspiration from and she was saying it can just be by looking around and mm. she was in she was in Central Park with her daughter and her daughter whispered to her mum look at that lady with all the tattoos yeah and she was heavily tattooed lady sitting there with her daughter and that's where she got the idea from for to do, to write illustrated ladies so you know it's just yeah amazing where we get inspiration from you know it's like it with poetry isn't it as well just any mm. kind of writing you, you can be struck with inspiration from absolutely anywhere yeah absolutely anywhere. definitely and it's interesting what you say about the the way that she spoke to you as well because not just from the the, the mental health stuff but also from the single parent part of it as well because mm. for you i guess it, it being in a single parent family reading a book as a child about a mum and a dad and a brother and a sister and a you know dog and a cat and what it's got you know mm. nice fluffy stuff it's not going to speak to you is it it's not going to resonate it's not going to say anything to you at all is it mm. yeah it was it yeah I mean it was obviously I was not going at going through anything like what these kids in her books were going through but it was just nice to kind of yeah it was nice to sort of think oh, okay this you know people do write about single parent families they're not you know like most of my friends at school at that age you know they live with their mum and their dad and and things like that I mean I guess as a child you're kind of you don't really tune into that stuff anyway so you know you're probably not really aware of it but it was yeah it was just nice there were a couple of books that she had and it was they had some really nice like mother-daughter bonds as well and that really spoke to me as well like you know just young girls being really close with their mum and and that was like yeah that's that's my situation it's it's good 
Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, that that when you've got a story that or a piece of writing that you know speaks about something you can relate to. Yeah. Mm. So, do you mention to other people that you write at all? It's yes and no. Um, generally, most of my friends now know that I I blog, um, but it's it's weird. Like if someone like I went into a place I used to work and someone came up to me and said, "Oh, I've, I've been really loving your blog," and I was like, "Oh, it I was it just freaked me out that people <laughs> I know were reading it." Um, and I always say to my husband, I'm like, you can read my blog, just don't talk to me about it because it's, it's almost like it's out there on the internet for people to see, but it's just like, I don't know, it kind of just feels like that person's in your head. It's weird. But yeah, they, you know, my close friends and people do know about it and I will kind of bring it up. I'll be like, oh, I'm writing a blog post on this and stuff like that occasionally, but um particularly with my work at the moment I've um where I've only been there a few months I'm not quite ready to say you know I mean I wouldn't make a big thing out of it I wouldn't just sit there and be like oh do you know I wrote a blog but (laughs) but you know I if if it came up like in terms of hobbies or whatever I you know maybe in a couple of months time I'd be like oh actually I I do a bit of a bit of writing but I think there's still that stigma around blogging it's like it's obviously it's not what I do for a day job it's it is for me it's just my hobby you know it'd be Mm. nice if ultimately I could have it as my job but you know realistically I don't think I've got the time to put into it to get get it to that point at the moment so you know for now I'm quite happy with it just being a hobby but um yeah, I don't I think also some of the content on my blog isn't quite work appropriate or maybe it is work appropriate once they know me a bit better like obviously as you know I do swear a lot on my blog. Um I I talk about some quite spicy things. So you know nothing full on filthy but like I do get quite animated, shall we say, and when I when I get going if I'm angry about something and I just thought, no, they don't really know what I'm like completely yet. I'm not quite ready to to let them sort of get that insight into me just yet. So, you know, that it might happen. It might never happen. It might never come up, within, you know, in which case that's fine. Um, mm. I'm not sort of following or you know, I don't have any of them on social media yet. Or And again, don't know if that will ever become the case. So, you know, it's it's sort of actively there on on my social media and stuff so you know they'll see it if if that ever happens but yeah I'm not going to make a point of telling them unless I'm asked or it comes up I I think (laughs) maybe best to keep it separate (laughs) (laughs) but then then I suppose in in the same vein that you know there's going to be stuff I guess that they everybody's got a right to their opinion and and how to Mm. how to of course you have to be a you know professional and, and a appropriate in the workplace you know that that's that goes without saying you know unless you want to kind of get marched out the door and lose your job within a few mm. weeks I guess but you know to a degree but you know that there are that everybody's gonna have moments where they want to vent and they want to have their opinion and we're lucky that we live in a society where we've got freedom of speech yeah um, but you know and they're probably there's things that they would think oh no I won't want I won't want to discuss that Amy, because I don't really know her. She might not want, she might not approve of that. You know, it kind of mm. works both ways. And it's funny how we perceive others when sometimes we can be way off the mark. Um, mm. 
but it's interesting what you say and what you said about you say your husband can read your blog but you <laughs> he can't see he's read it i'm like that with my with my poetry really and i mean i know <laughs> my son reads it and he, he likes it and his friends apparently like it my, my son's talked, i know i know my son's talked about it in school as well and and one of one of his friends listens to this podcast as well, which I find really bizarre. <laughs> oh, that's so it's nice, great. though. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I think I, I'm just blown away by it. I think I think it's brilliant, but it's funny yeah. that you know, my wife will read a poem or say, you know, she that doesn't really say a lot, and I, I like it that way because I think, well, if she's read it, that's great, and then I've got to sit there while she reads it because it's just it just takes me back to being a kid at school, you know, showing your teacher something. <laughs> yeah, I think. Be, <laughs> yeah, I think now you've said it, there is definitely an element of that there, hundred <laughs> percent. And it's like, what? Like, I'm not getting marked on this, I, like. <laughs> but it, yeah, no, you're hundred percent. I agree with you. <laughs> Other than doing your your writing and doing your blogging, and what what does Amy Jackson do to relax? What do you do to kind of get away from your your blogging and and that kind of thing? Oh, um, I don't really relax, <laughs> um, but. <laughs> Generally, I I try and read a lot now. It's something over the last couple of years I've really gotten back into reading. Um, so I try and do that in my downtime when I'm not looking at a screen. Um, it's sort of getting out of that habit of scrolling through my phone that I'm really working on because you know if I'm sat waiting for dinner or something, I normally I'll just scroll through my phone or I'll scroll through TikTok and watch just loads of crappy videos. Um, and I really need to, I, I mean, honestly, TikTok kept me going in lockdown, just, you know, children falling over, cats knocking stuff off of shelves. It was brilliant. Um, but yeah, it's not, not a very healthy habit to have. So, um, yeah, generally it's during those little downtime moments, I will try and reach for a book rather than my phone. Um, I watch, I do watch a lot of telly. Um, I what I generally will rewatch the same stuff over and over again. I think that's uh quite a quite a common trait in people with anxiety because it's it's comfort more than anything else. But I mean, I wouldn't say watching endless episodes of Grey's Anatomy is comforting, given some of what happens <laughs> in these episodes. But um, <laughs> it was one season, and so much happened. Just so many people. No spoiler alert. Um, you know, so many people died, so many bad stuff happened, and I was sat there crying my eyes out, and I just thought, why am I doing this to myself? I'm supposed to be relaxing. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, I watch a lot of I like comedies. Um, Frasier is probably my favourite TV show of all time. Um, been watching that since I was about twelve, and didn't even understand any of the jokes in it. Um. And we watch a lot of stand-up comedy as well. Um, you know, Lee Evans, Russell Howard, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah that's yeah. they're probably the main two. <laughs> we'll take a break, and we'll be back after this. Mm-hmm. And welcome back to part two of episode episode one of series two. I was getting all confused with my numbers there, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Like, to be honest, it doesn't really take a great deal to get me confused, to be honest. It doesn't take a great deal. <laughs> I can I could I could I could fly a, a twelve hour flight to somewhere and I could get off the plane and I could go to a hotel and I could go to sleep that night and I'll still wake up and think, where am I? What yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's human nature, that, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so you mentioned at the start when we were talking about um, you being diagnosed with OCD. Um, for those that may not know the acronym, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, am I correct in that? Yeah. Okay, and part of the series that I want to keep going that I did in series one as well is there were some podcasts with the subject of mental health being tackled in in some way or another um, regarding mental health and I want to you know tackle that in other podcasts as well and you have very kindly agreed to be as open as you want to be about your OCD diagnosis now for those that don't know and those that have us in their ears at the moment um, on Amy's blog there is a I can only say uh, describe as a superb series of entries and it's it's called my therapy diary series now I knew nothing about OCD at all really other than the the rubbish you get fed in the media yeah and the typical you know the the, the really low respect stuff you get you know about around OCD because it's due to lack of understanding and knowing what it's about yeah. I think um now there's seven parts on your diary series now this i'm going to read them from part one through to part seven obviously not mm-hmm. the whole things because we're here till as much as i'd like to it'd make it great <laughs> <laughs> but we've got part one school counseling uh part two cognitive behavioral therapy with exposure part three emdr now i'm going to have to ask you to remind me what that stands for in a moment um, oh. <laughs> you caught me out <laughs> Um, and then there's long waits and too many assessments the university years group therapy uh, the university years group therapy part two and then there's high intensity cbt now i know part three emdr that's that's to do with eye movement something isn't it that's to do with eye movement desensitization and reprocessing don't quote me on that no i think you might be right because they were looking at (laughs) to do that with me at some point with my mm. diagnosis of not OCD but with the um, PTSD and the yeah. other daft bugger stuff um, I'll, <laughs> I tell you it'd be so much better wouldn't it if you know oh, yeah we've got a diagnosis for you Dom yeah daft bugger but it, 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 it'd lose the stigma wouldn't it I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm being I'm being flippant but sometimes I wish just for me for my own self my own uh-huh. mental health and my own diagnosis I'd be like well, why can't they just call it the daft bugger diagnosis yeah. it, I'd, I'd like that um, so, and you know, I, I'm 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 not making light. I'm, you know, but that's one thing I think I found a lot with mental health. Sometimes mm. um, you have to have a sense of humour with it because in the darkest of times, you do have to sometimes reach down and almost scrape the bottom of the barrel to find a sense of humour because mm. I don't know where we'd be without it. I don't know. That's a British thing. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I think to an extent. Yeah, possibly. But with regard to your own experiences and your own diagnosis, and you say as much as you want, mm. how is it for you? What what has it meant for you having that diagnosis? And when, in fact, did you get the official piece of paper, if you like, black and white piece of paper that said, yes, this is what we are diagnosing you with? Uh, I I remember the relief when I had that letter that said essentially that I I had OCD because I 
kind of knew it for a couple of years going into it. I knew sort of, maybe not that I had it, but I knew sort of the behaviours I was doing, the compulsive hand washing and the, the checking and the sort of safety rituals and things like that, as it were. I knew that they were sort of typical of OCD. Um, and it wasn't until I had like a proper meltdown around planning my wedding and after that as well, just in term in terms of germs and illness and you know, I, I was I was in a really bad place and I when I finally got a mental health assessment after I, I it's all sort of blurred into one in terms of time frames and everything, but it was a good kind of six months before I got um before I got sort of what I class as the the proper treatment, the sort of the treatment that had the most effect on me to this day. Um and I just I kind of part of me that the entire time was thinking, oh, it's probably not OCD. And me saying that it's OCD is offensive to people that have OCD because annoyingly the OCD that I have, it's it sort of fits into the stereotypes that people have about OCD. Um, I mean, not necessarily the tidying. Um, mine is more contamination based. So um, put it this way, if someone I know hasn't washed their hands or someone who I see sneeze into their hands, for example, I will have meticulous attention on what they're touching for how long they're touching it for it's almost like I see it like a green mist on stuff that that person has touched and I'll think I have to clean that I have to clean that I have to clean that otherwise I'm going to get ill and that's going to be disastrous like it's the main fear it for me is getting ill um and that stems from uh my emetophobia um for for those who don't know is the phobia of vomit which is mm -hmm. you know I, I get that all the time oh no one likes being sick it's like yeah but any that's a whole different story um but yeah that's where it stems from um and it was sort of around the time that I was planning my wedding I was just obsessed with the idea that someone was going to be ill whether it be me whether it be my husband whether it be someone involved in the wedding it, you know, it could have been before the wedding, it could have been on the wedding day, it could have been after the wedding, it, you know, after the wedding when we were going off on our little mini moon we had, it was just all I could focus on. And it wasn't even so much like vomit illnesses anymore. It was more, it be it became, well, it was that, that was sort of the main worry, but it was also colds and just general illness and it was, you know, it was getting to the point in my worst days, I threw away a, a 60 pound coat that I'd only had for about a week because I'd worn it to somebody's house. And that person very casually announced they'd been off work for two days with a stomach bug that week. Um, I was given a check from someone um, for quite, it was, it was a check from a family member for our wedding. So it was quite a hefty amount of money that stayed in my car for three months um, before I took it to the bank because um, I went to see that person and they told me uh, the day before they they had been being sick and having diarrhea with a stomach bug. Um, mm. 
it's it was that kind of extreme behavior i was throwing away handbags uh i was boil washing and ruining clothes um broke two phones because i kept dental wiping them um that cost me a lot of money because i had to buy out my contract on two occasions <laughs> to get another phone um i mean that's the stuff i laugh at because it you know it is horrible but at the same time i'm just like stupid shit i did like look at the stupid shit that this illness has made me do over the years um mm. so i went off on a tangent there um but yeah it's, <laughs> yeah i just wrote like i said that's it does fit into the stereotype on the surface but beneath that there's so much more and i do also have fears around um not necessarily harm but i do sort of worry about you know, I worry about the handbrake snapping on my car. Um, I worry, you know, if I drive past a child, I have to keep looking back in the mirror to make sure I've, I haven't run them over. Same with cyclists. Um, like today, I parked on a hill and I I had to leave my car in gear. And even then, the entire time I was walking, I, I was in, in work. I just thought, oh, what if I get back and my car's crashed into another car because because the handbrake failed it hadn't but it was like I couldn't get that thought out of my head until I was physically back in my car and driving home and so that's the fear as well I also have quite bad health anxiety around it particularly with things like cancer which it's you know I'll watch if I'm for example if I'm watching uh you know a, a tv show where someone has cancer or if I'm watching something like stand up to cancer I kind of have to sort of touch wood and you know, I had to do it just and that wasn't even proven a point. That was legit. Um, because it's almost like if I don't do that, someone I love or some or or I even will get it. And it's I remember sort of that I was weirdly obsessed with um getting cervical cancer back in you know, back when I was quite bad. And it's still something I worry about because there was all this stuff in the media about women under 25 because they didn't get didn't get their screenings they were getting diagnosed you know they were getting diagnosed too late and they were dying at age like 22 23 and it was just constant I for some reason I just couldn't let it go until I was old enough to have a screening and it, yeah it was it's just silly stuff like that it's yeah, I just obsess over it over and over again. And sometimes I felt it would get to the point where I felt like even if I said the word, it that was jinxing it. And it was, yeah, so that's my form of OCD. Uh, um, but that's, yeah, like, it has an enormously significant impact then, doesn't it? By the sounds of it. Yeah, definitely. And it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm still, I mean, obviously with COVID and everything, I'm, I have gone back quite a bit in recovery um, because stuff that stuff that back, you know, pre-COVID would have been considered being irrational things like wiping down your groceries and, you know, washing your hands as soon as you enter the house and things like that, that all became like the norm. Like I, I knew of my friends that were wiping down their groceries and stuff like that. And not, I wouldn't even do that you know, when my OCD was at its worst, because weirdly, my brain was like, no, you draw the line somewhere. And it was like, oh, okay, so 
chucking brand new coats away and breaking phones is fine, but you know, God forbid you wipe wipe down your groceries kind of thing. I'm not quite sure what the hell my brain was doing there, but yeah, that was something I never did. But then all of a sudden I knew people that were doing it and yeah, it just really kind of blurred the lines between what was rational and what wasn't rational. And um, yeah, it's, it's difficult because where I do, where my OCD is largely contamination based, it's, I do get people going, oh yeah, I like things tidy as well. And it's like, no, it's, it's not about that. It's not even about sort of having to keep a clean house. It's nothing to do with that at all. It's just like the, it's, yeah, it's just like this. It's all stems to this irrational fear of, of getting sick. Basically it's, um, you know, it is exhausting. Um, I mean, I'm better than I was. Can't say I'm fully recovered, nowhere near that. And definitely COVID has, you know, thrown me back a few paces on that as well. But yeah, I think, yeah, <laughs> long story short, getting that diagnosis in 2016 was, it was a relief because I was like, oh, it actually is OCD. I am ill. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that, Amy. That That's is right. um, probably didn't uh, make sense listening to it back. <laughs> absolutely, made, absolutely made sense, and it's um, it's it's fascinating, and I, I don't, yeah, I'm, without sounding condescending, it's also heartbreaking as well to hear such such an impact on someone's life, um, because, yeah. because of your the way your brain is wired, the way your brain is telling you that this thing is completely rational completely real mm. completely happening because if you do touch that what that person has touched or they've, they've then told you they've had a, a bug and the fear of getting i can because it's a phobia because actually the word emetophobia comes from it's a greek word mm. i looked this up i've done a bit of research you know due yeah. diligence I'm, i've been quite good <laughs> and i didn't know this but um Actually, the, the, for those that, you know, that, to say I don't, I, I'm not pretending to sound intelligent, I actually did look this up. Um, it comes from the Greek word uh, amito, meaning vomit, mm. and um, phobos, um, meaning fear, uh, phobia yeah. comes from. Um, and of course, phobias are as real as you and I looking at each other now. They, mm. they are real. And if you also have a brain with OCD, then a phobia <laughs> is going to be absolutely massive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got, an irrational, I've got an irrational fear of moths. Work that one out. Yeah. They're harmless. Absolutely <laughs> harmless. But if I, I tell you what, lucky in this house, I, res, I rescue the spiders. I get rid mm. of the spiders, everybody. But if there's a moth, <laughs> won't go near it. I, <laughs> I have been I have been pinned outside my house before. Oh, With a light gosh. and a moth. I won't go, I can't go in. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why. I yeah. just don't like anything around me. I won't go near it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, logically, my logical brain's going, you idiot, you complete pillock. <laughs> What's he going to do? Fly into you and burst into dust. What's he going to yeah. do? <laughs> but the fear side of my brain's going, ah, run! <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. That's. I think that's what people don't get about phobias. It's such an obvious thing, but they just completely brush over it it's like it's irrational that's the point of it
Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? When you mentioned there about getting the the diagnosis and getting that piece of paper, the relief, I felt the same way when I got the diagnosis, the complex mm. PTSD. And that was only, crikey, was that this year? I think it was in the summer. Yeah. And that was from when I was, and that was when I was 11, 12 years old, and I'm now an old git. So, but my wife looked at me at the appointment and she went, well, I won't say what she said, but it was along the lines of about time. Yeah. And I, I'm still coming to terms with it now. I don't really quite know how to deal with that yet, but it's, um, it's like, wow. And I kind of always had an inkling that it might be, but the relief to then I don't know about you, um, because it's, a, it's with, I guess, with what you've been t- just saying there to me about the way the world is for you and physically what you have to do as well. And especially if it's contamination based, um, there's a lot of physical stuff there as well, isn't there? There's like, you know, like mm. you have to clean or wash your hands. And yeah, for me, for the, for the PD, it's kind of, it's trapped in here, if you like. But I was thinking, and it may have been for you, you might just think he was being irrational. I don't know. But I thought, well, I'm not making it up. I'm, I'm not, I'm not daft. I'm not silly. Mm. I'm not being dramatic. I don't know if you felt the same way when you got the diagnosis. Yeah, 100% I did because it, it goes back to because what I was doing was sort of in a way it was how, the you know, the wiping stuff down and washing your hands. That's those kind of behaviours are what the media portray as someone with OCD. And I was just thinking, am I offending literally everyone with OCD here? Because and I was like, I don't have OCD. I'm just making it up. I'm being dramatic. And, you know, because, so, you know, there's so many different forms of OCD. And, you know, some of them don't even have behaviours attached. It can literally just be a person has horrific thoughts. They can, you know, it can be, they can be sexual, they can be religious. And, you know, they're pure O, it's called. But it's, yeah, I just, it was almost like, reassurance that I wasn't making it up it was OCD and it's yeah definitely it it was just you know at the same time you know horrible you've been diagnosed with OCD but it's like oh I like it again it's like it's about time it's almost just sort of cementing what you kind of already knew but reassuring you no you're not making it up you're not you're not being dramatic and it's like, a, I guess, in a way, it's like a, like you say, yeah, okay, I've been diagnosed. It's not great that I've been diagnosed with this particular condition, but it's a step forward, isn't it? Mm. In that, in that, oh, I don't want to use the J word. I'm going to have to use. Yeah. It. <laughs> I use the J word, but it's a step forward in that journey of yeah, to to a sense of recovery, not completely, of course, mm. but to a point where. You can seek the right treatment. And on that point, what particular part of treatment worked for you that you found most successful? I'm definitely going to say the high intensity CBT because that was what I had pretty much after I was diagnosed. Like before everything up until that point was, it was generally sort of treating me for anxiety, you know, using that as an umbrella term over 
I mean, mainly the issue was the vomit phobia. That was the most predominant thing. And it's almost like in those few years, it morphed into OCD. Um, so it, when I first sat down with the, um, I don't think she was like a therapist, therapist. Um, I, I think they're called, uh, well-being practitioners or something. So, but for, you know, for sake of arguments, let's say she was a therapist. When I first sat down with her, she said sort of, and obviously I told her about the emetophobia and she said, well, what would you rather tackle here? Because to make this work, you kind of need to zone in more on one than the other. And she said, like she said, in my opinion, if we work at unpicking the OCD, because that's what you've just been diagnosed with, we can hope that the emetophobia might sort of break down as a result of that. So, and because at this point, the OCD, it stem, you know, it'd gone way further than just worrying about getting sick. I was making myself late for work because I was checking that the door was locked. I was checking that my car was locked and you know, any, anything that you do when you leave the house as a check, I was doing it multiple times and I was getting like blisters on the inside of my fingers where I was sort of yanking the front door so hard to check that it was, it was shut properly and you know things like that and I was just like no this is what needs addressing right now so and I think the fact that she was she was very very good at at her job she and also the thing I did talk about this in the blog the thing she said in my first session she just said what would you not find helpful from me and I was like I've never been asked that question before, not by any kind of health professional at all. And instantly I just said, I don't like being patronized. I don't like being spoken to like I'm a child, like, like I'm stupid. And I know I did seem, I I think looking back, I probably seemed a bit big headed because I said to her, I've got a psychology degree. I don't need you to tell me anxiety basics and the basics of cbt because i do know it like i'm not i i felt like such an asshole but i was just like you know if it's going to save time and i I said like if if i don't know what something is or if i need refreshing i'll tell you but i just said i don't like being taught it's one of my i have a real problem with it if someone speaks down to me or patronizes me you know there's probably some sort of you know deep-rooted thing going on there i don't like being spoken to like i'm a child but i just think it's generally being respected as another human being yeah because i had um i think this was one of the assessments i had and this woman sat down with me and my mum came into this session as well um mainly because my mum was like, no, you won't tell her the full, the full story. She she needs to hear it from someone else as well. So, you know, that's what happened. But um, I remember this lady and she she was typical. Oh, I don't know how to describe her, but she was very, very, you know, I mean, she probably would have worked really well with kids. Um, but she sat there and she gets out a little diagram and she's there going, oh, so this is how it works when we're when we're fear fearful of something. This is how the fight or flight response work is. And then she's like, when we get scared, and I was like, what are you doing? Like I am not I am not six years old. I am I am an adult. 
didn't treat me like one. And we left yeah. the session and my mum looked at me and she said, I can tell you didn't, so I can, I can tell you what you're not happy with that. And I was like, no, I'm not because, you know, if it's going to be with her, it's not going to work because I hate her. <laughs> but no, thankfully the lady that I did ultimately do the 20 odd sessions with was lovely. She, yeah, she was amazing. And I like to this day, I like owe it to her for, and I remember I wrote her a thank you card and I sort of just left it at reception on, on the day that I had my last session. And I just put in it, thank you for giving me my life back because I'd left that. It, it was in like um, the psychiatric uh, hospital that's sort of local to us. And I remember leaving and I was just like, ah, oh. it was it was so good. And I genuinely like I'd left and I was quite I was still worried because I was like, OK, now I'm on my own. But at the same time, I thought. I actually felt like it had come, it, it had come to a good stopping point almost before it was sort of right. These are all the sessions you've had. That's it. You, you know, you're out. But it was, yeah. I just sort of felt like, yeah, it, it, it was a weird feeling, but it was, it was a good feeling. I just sort of, yeah, I, I could see that I had come such a long way, and she gave me like this, all these notes that we'd written and. Um, like my discharge letter and it it was just little things that I hadn't done that I was now doing stuff like using my phone when I was out um, I mean you know I still won't touch my phone unless I put hand sanitizer on but it was like before my phone was staying in my bag like if you needed me in an emergency you, you wouldn't get hold of me because like I, you know even if it was ringing and ringing and ringing in my bag I'd be like no I'm not touching it unless I can wash my hands and it, it was just like little things like that. And it was things like having a cup of tea at work, using a using one of the, the forks rather than, you know, going out and buying like a bag of plastic ones. It, it was little things like that that I was doing. And I, yeah, that is probably the, the one that had the most effect on me, definitely. <laughs> Join me next time for part two of episode one, where I continue to speak, of course, with the wonderfully eloquent Amy Jackson, and we continue to talk about her diagnosis of OCD. I do hope you've enjoyed part one of episode one, and as a taster, coming up in episode two next time. Wow, and that was 20 sessions over what what period of time? Um, that was about six months, I think. They, what I like when you go in for that first session, they say, it's just a lot more sort of it's nice having that structure to it definitely mm. and and i would imagine structure is what you needed at the time as well mm. yeah and it made things easier with work as well because you know i was working a retail job that probably contributed if i'm if i'm telling the truth to to the oct getting as bad as it did it's like i know what i like and i stick with it i don't I'm I'm very sort of safe with my music, <laughs> but you know if I if I do hear something that you know like on this podcast for example like if if a song comes up I think oh that's really good I'm gonna say that. <laughs> there's you know there's been a few like that, but you know if you give me a choice between like a playlist of songs 
This podcast, Lyrical Life Disorganised Waffle, was recorded at Walking Wardrobe Studios, a Walking Wardrobe production podcast. It was edited by me, recorded by me, and let's be honest, coupled together by me. So if you can, pop wafflers, join me next time for part two of episode one, OCD. It's like this, with me and Amy Jackson. Until then, ta-da. Thank you.